Well, this morning we are blessed to have some special guests with us. So I'm going to ask the UTA men's basketball team and staff, would y'all all stand just so we can officially say welcome First Baptist Arlington. For coach. Thank you guys. Y'all can have a seat. Come on up here. This is Coach Greg Young, everybody. And uh, Coach Young is our head coach at UTA. Good morning. And uh, we're so glad you're here today. Tell you about Coach Young. Uh, he has connections to our church. Um, he played basketball at Howard Payne University when Jay Johnson was there playing football and Nanette Johnson was there and David Butts. So he went to college with some of our staff members and uh, so he's had long time connections at First Baptist. He and his wife are members at First Baptist Mansfield and uh, long time assistant at UTA, head coach in other places, but became the head coach at UTA a couple years ago and Greg is a very strong believer. He attends Bible study fellowship at our church on Monday nights. We are thrilled that you're the head coach at UTA, man. We are so proud of you. God bless you, man. Um, so tell us, what's it like right now being a head basketball coach for uh, UTA and for these young men? Well, it, it was good last night because we won. So, uh, yeah. Um, we're, we're one and one on the season. We played at Oklahoma State on Monday night in the Big 12. They're really good. We played well. In spurts, uh, we, we've got an exciting, fun team to watch. Got beat 11. Uh, we ended up winning last night by about 40. We have a game Tuesday night, which we're promoting, which we appreciate you guys being a part of. You know, I've been at UT Arlington 14 years, going on 15 years. Uh, we've had some dark times in the last few years. Uh, just, just in our program and in our country and COVID and the university, but. The, the, the connection between First Baptist and UTA has always been really, really strong. A lot of you guys know that. Some of our players, we have 10 new players. Um, we have a lot of new coaches. They, they don't know that, but I do. And so that's why I thought it was important to be here. Your pastor has been a friend of mine, a mentor, a supporter of us for such a long time. So, you know, every time I drive by First Baptist, I'm like, Man, this is, this is a good place. Because I tell our players all the time, and I'm, I know you got a sermon to preach. I'll Go get ahead, out of the no, way. Man, you're on a uh, roll. Go ahead. You're on a roll. Uh, but I tell our players all the time, look, God's got you here for a reason. Mm. I believe that. I believe they're here this morning for a reason. Mm. It's, it's a hard deal being a student athlete. It's a hard deal being a student, right? we got a bunch of students here. It's a hard deal being a student athlete. Mm -hmm. They play for an imperfect coach who expects perfection. That's a hard deal. That's a really hard deal. And, and, and they work really hard. We've been here since June. We don't have an off season. We practice all summer, all year. And we got great kids with great stories and, and, and they're unique and they're here for a reason. So we appreciate your support. We love you. We need you Tuesday night and we need you the rest of the year. I know a lot of you come to games but we really appreciate your support and we appreciate the connection of First Baptist and UT Arlington, especially in men's basketball. Thank you. Amen, amen. Well, I want to pray for you. Yep, okay. We, uh, I am, I'm grateful for our friendship and I would tell uh, these student athletes, you got a great staff leading y'all. I hope y'all know that. And uh, it's pretty awesome to have a man with so much integrity at the helm. And uh, 
I want y'all to know as players, I'm working with him to get him more energized during the games and during practice. So if y'all will just be patient, I'm gonna get him out of his shell before this season's over, all right? So y'all hold on, he's coming, okay? Anyway, but we wanna just have a word of prayer over you, your staff, and your team. So let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the partnerships we have in this town and the historic connection we have with UT Arlington. We're so grateful for that. We thank you, Lord, that we're neighbors and have been for many, many years. But Lord, today we're particularly grateful for this program. We thank you for Coach Young, his staff, and these players. I'm grateful, Lord, for his Christian witness and, uh, and the fact that he is a good basketball coach. And uh, he loves you. He loves these students. He loves the game of basketball. And he's just been a blessing to our community. So I pray your blessings now on him, his family, his staff, and this team. Lord, that you would just let your favor rest upon them. You'd keep them safe and healthy and have a great year ahead. And we just thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Amen, Greg. God bless you, brother. Thank you. Awesome. And uh, I've I've got about a half a year eligibility left, Coach, just for you to know. And, uh, and I, think I'm, I think I'm better than Charlie. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I don't know that, but uh, we'll see. Anyway, well, let's, uh, let's look at our lesson for today. Y'all know that we're in missions month here at our church. And each season at our church has a theme. And our theme right now is reclaim. So that's where we are as a church. We're going to look at a very famous story today. The title of the message is The Need for reclaiming the lost. And the text is found in Luke's gospel, the 15th page, very famous page in our Bibles, very famous story. So I want you to look at it with me. We're going to begin in verse 11. At our church, it's our tradition whenever the gospel is read to stand in the honor of the Lord Jesus. So I'm gonna invite you to stand with me if you can as we hear the gospel read. Jesus is criticized by the religious leaders of his day in the opening part of of Luke 15 because of how he welcomes sinners. So Jesus tells this story in response to that criticism. Verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So when he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. 
He refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thank you. You may be seated. The parable of the prodigal son. Well, this story is told by Jesus in response to his critics among the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. That's why Jesus tells this story. Um, It's a famous story. Years ago, my wife Cindy was in West Africa in a very remote village. And she was in a place where Jesus was not even hardly known at all. And the people in the village were animists in their worship and spiritual life. But they knew that Cindy's team had been there and they had provided some medical care for the villagers and they had told them we're doing this in the name of Jesus. And so one evening they gathered around a fire and all the village was gathered, the village elders and the chief. And the chief said to Cindy, tell me something that Jesus said. You're here to tell us about Jesus. Tell me something about Jesus. Cindy decided to tell this story. She had a translator, and so she said, there was a man, Jesus told this story, there was a man who had two sons. And the translator said, this is one of the stories of Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. And Cindy said, and the younger son wanted everything that belonged to him right now. The translator said, and the younger son wanted everything that belonged to him right now. And the, and the chief went, mm-hmm. <laughs> you see, these stories of Jesus They transcend cultural barriers. That chief immediately identified with brokenness in his own family. Well, Jesus tells this very powerful story, but I want you to notice why. Look back at verse one of Luke 15. The tax collectors and the sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the the religious leaders, they muttered and they said, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. You see, These religious leaders, they believe that some people are so bad, there's no hope for them. Some people are so lost, they can't be saved. That's what these people believed. So Jesus decides to teach them a valuable lesson, and he tells them this story. And so he tells them about this. He just makes this story up. These two brothers um, and... One's older, one's younger. And the younger one says, I want what's mine right now. And so according to Jewish custom, if there were two boys, the older boy got two-thirds of the estate and the younger boy got one-third. So he went ahead and divided. If you'll notice, the text says he gave them both the property, verse 12. So in other words, the younger brother didn't get anything that was coming to the older brother. It's not like the dad had to take from the older brother to give to the younger brother. Make sense? In other words, he didn't lose anything. His younger brother just got everything that was coming to him. So his younger brother takes it and he leaves. Well, he's a Jewish boy. So if you could just have in your mind what that was like in those days, the Jews had a severe disdain for Gentiles, anybody who wasn't a Jew. As a matter of fact, these religious leaders, every day in their prayer life, they would thank God they weren't Gentiles. 
So that was their feeling toward Gentiles. And you know that Jews believe that pigs are unclean animals. You can't touch them. You can't touch their food. You can't eat them. You can't be around them. So this young man goes and he spends all of his money, loses everything in wild living. So he's not living a righteous life. He's lost everything. He goes to work for a Gentile. Now, how do we know he's going to work for a Gentile? Because the man owns pigs. So no self-respecting Jew owned pigs. So he's going to work for a Gentile. And not only that, y'all, he wants to eat the pig's food. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is as low as you can get. He's so far away, he's in Gentile territory. He's so desperate, he's working for a Gentile. And to show you how bad it is, he's slopping hogs. And to add insult to injury, he's wishing he could just eat the hog's food. That's how bad it is. Okay. Notice what happens. Verse 17. He came to his senses. Wow, how many parents are waiting on that? When is my kid going to come to his or her senses? And so he did. And finally he said, you know what? I'm looking at my life right now. I've lost everything. Here's what he says. Look at verse 17. He says, my father's hired servants. Now you got to understand the, the order in a Jewish home in the first century. You had the children. Then you had the slaves. And then beneath the slaves were the hired servants. You see, there were certain protocols in the first century about how you managed slaves. But hired servants, you could just hire them and fire them willy-nilly. Do whatever you want to do with them. So this guy says, not only am I not really worthy anymore to be a son, I'm not even worthy to be a slave. Maybe, just maybe, I can start at the bottom rung of the ladder and I can actually identify now with these hired servants and maybe my dad will take me back. So he says, the hired servants have it better off than I do. So he says, I'm going home. So that's what he does. He heads home. Now remember, he strutted off in haughtiness. He's gonna slink home in humility. There's no strut in his gait right now. He's humble. And then what happens? Jesus said his dad sees him. And Jesus said his dad took off running. You know, used to when I was younger, I always wondered, if this dad loved his boy so much, why didn't he go get him? Well, here's what I've learned many years later. I'm a little wiser than I used to be. Here's what I've learned. You can go get them as many times as you want to. If they ain't ready to come home, it doesn't do any good. Just how it is. Now, that's kind of an Alabama colloquialism, but I'm just telling you, they've got to want to come home. And this boy finally came to his senses when his daddy saw him, and he just took off running. And he embraced him, and he welcomed him, and he kissed him, and he said, all right, get the robe. Well, the robe was a sign of honor. And he said, go, 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 go get my ring. Well, the ring was a sign of authority. And then he said, get his shoes. Well, shoes were the signs of sonship. See, the slaves in the hired service didn't wear shoes when they worked in the house are on the property. Only the sons wore shoes. So in other words, what's this father doing? He is completely restoring this young man. He restores his honor. He restores his authority. He restores his sonship just like that. Just welcomes him and receives him and embraces him and says, hey, let's have a party. My boy who was dead is now alive. He was lost. We have found him. And everybody came in to celebrate, right? Everybody. Except one, right? The older brother. He comes in from the field and says, what's going on, everybody? Says, hey, man, your brother's home. Can you not hear him saying, I don't have a brother. 
used to have a brother. I don't have a brother anymore. How do I know that? Because what does he say to his daddy? He doesn't say, my brother. He says, this son of yours has come home. And after all he's done, you're going to throw a big party. Seriously, that's what we're going to do. And so the father explains it to him, and then the story just ends. Jesus doesn't tell us what happens. He just leaves it hanging. Because you see, he is sharing a stinging rebuke with the Pharisees and the rulers of the law. Because unmistakably, they're the older brother. Because you see, they, they felt like some folks, these sinners, these tax collectors, whoever they are, they're so far gone, there's no way they can be saved. And so Jesus now tells this story, and there is no question, they are the older brother. And all these sinners, and everybody else is coming to Jesus, they're like the younger brother, they're lost, they've been found. And so Jesus leaves it with them. Now, as Luke continues to tell the story, guess what? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're going to stay the elder brother the rest of the time. They're, they're never going to accept the sinners, are they? They're, Jesus is going to keep working. They're never going to receive these people. And so it's a stinging critique of this attitude. People are so far gone, they can't be rescued. Well, I want us this morning to remember, that's the first century context of this story, but we don't live in the first century. We're in the 21st century. And so how do we take what we learn here and apply it to our day? Because we live in a very different context than this one. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to just share with you real quickly a theology of lostness. And, and I want to learn from this story, but also just the teachings of the New Testament. It's a powerful story, one of the most famous stories Jesus ever told. But I would submit to you this morning that we are facing a very different problem than Jesus faced. Jesus was dealing with religious people who felt like folks were so lost, they could never be saved. We have the opposite problem. Many of the people in our day believe that no one's lost, so there's no reason to go into any trouble to save them. That's our day. Many people believe everybody's just going to be all right. It doesn't matter. I was out here the other day at our little outdoor basketball court over here close to UTA. We have a lot of UTA kids that play ball there. And there was a young man playing ball by himself. And I just went up to him and, and uh, introduced myself for a minute. We got to talking. And I said, glad you're here. Are you a student here? Yes, sir. And I said, uh, I said, well, you know, this is our church's property. He said, I didn't know that. I thought this was UTA's. I said, that's fine, but it's all good. He said, so do you go to this church? I said, well, actually, I'm the pastor of this church. He said, so you're a Christian? I said, yeah. He said, you know, I know a little bit about Christians. I said, really? He said, yeah, you know, we're all the same. It, it doesn't matter who you are. You can be a Muslim. You can be a Buddhist. You can be nothing. Or you can be a Christian. And he said, and actually, it all goes the same path. We all end up with the same God we're all good. I would tell you all that young man's view is oftentimes the predominant view in the West. There are Christians today who share that view. Everything's fine. People aren't lost, so why do we go to so much trouble trying to get them saved? So here's what I'd like to do this one. Let me offer you just real quickly a theology of lostness. And let me begin here. People who do not know Jesus are lost. And they are in need of being reclaimed. 
God has created every single one of us in his image. He's put his signature in you. Every person on this planet has it. You have this, this unique imprint from God that causes you to be different than the rest of creation. It creates a self-consciousness. You're aware of yourself. You, you know you exist, and you wonder why you exist. You, you wonder, why is it that I'm on this planet? What, what purpose am I supposed to serve? What am I supposed to do in my life? The rest of creation doesn't ask those questions. Human beings do, no matter who you are all over the world. God's put that in us, and until you know Jesus, you're lost, and you're in need of being reclaimed. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 6, that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Paul says it this way, Romans 3, verse 23, all sinners, all of us have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin, Paul says in Romans 6, is death. And so there's a lot at stake at being lost. People who do not know Jesus are lost. Now, I wanted to make sure you understand this morning, don't, don't see that as a pejorative term. Some people say, well, that's, that's a harsh word. No, it's not. The word lost to me implies hope. If you lose something, if it's lost, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to find it. My goodness, how many times we lost our phone at our house? How many times we, are our keys? Even when you put the little thing on your key ring to find your phone, well, we can't find the keys, so it does us no good to try to find And the remote control, how often can you lose a remote control? I mean, seriously, we have, I have looked in the recliners. I've pulled the things off of the couch. I've called my grandkids. Did y'all take the remote home? And the Apple remote is so small. You, you, you lose it all the time. Where, how, how much time have I wasted? to looking for remote controls or telephone. If I'm gonna spend that much time looking for something like that is lost, surely to goodness as a Christian, if I think people are lost, I'm gonna go looking for them. True? Surely people are that valuable to me. So if I refer to someone who is lost, that's a hopeful word. That means that I'm going to go looking for them because they matter. If I'm going to spend that much time looking for a remote control and then get so frustrated, I actually buy the generic great big remote control that's just no good, to be honest. It's just no good. It doesn't do everything you want it to do. And I've wasted so much time. Well, what about people? People who are lost, they are worthy of you and I and our effort to try to find them. Now, here's what I want to say about that, though. Do you know that lost people often don't recognize their own lostness? They often don't even know they're lost. You know, I was raised, when I was a kid, this is what they used to tell us. Lost people are miserable. They're just miserable. They're, they're missing out on life. They don't know anything. You know what I've learned through the years? A lot of lost people are just happy people. They're not miserable. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of lost people that are good people. Lost people can be good people. They're law-abiding citizens. They vote. They pay their taxes. They do all kinds. They, they, they put the grocery cart out. I mean, you go to the grocery store, and the, you know, it, it's not rocket science, y'all. Just put the grocery cart back in the little thingy after you've used it. And don't, don't just lay it out in the middle of the parking lot so that I have to be reminded of your laziness every time I try to pull my car in and park. Just pull the thing in the little lane and be done. It ain't that big a deal. Even lost people can do it. You don't have to be saved just to put your grocery card up. My point is, lost people, they just do good stuff all the time. They love their husbands. They love their wives. They love their children. Many of them, they just don't know they're lost. So guess what that means? That means lost people need us. They need us. Because we know that if you don't know Jesus, 
You're lost. And we know that. And so lost people need us. Because lost people sometimes, they don't even know. And you know what? Sometimes they never get home. They never find their way home. I remember we've talked before about this guy that's from Iran that back in 1986, he was flying to England. You remember his story? And when he got to England, all of his paperwork had been lost in Belgium and he transferred through the Paris airport and he got to London and they wouldn't let him in and they sent him back to the Paris airport. You remember this guy? Uh, Maran Nasseri is his name. And he lived, if y'all remember this, he lived in the Paris airport from 1986 to 1988, I believe, to 2006, in the airport. Y'all remember his story? He lived at Charles de Gaulle because England wouldn't take him. Iran said he could come back, but he said, I don't want to go back to Iran. I'm not really Iranian. My mother's British. I want to go to England. That's my home. England wouldn't take him. Brussels agreed to take him back, but he said, I'm not Belgian. I don't want to go home to uh, there. That's not my home. France wouldn't let him out of the airport because he had no paperwork. So he lived in the airport all those years. Finally, in 2006, he got so sick that the authorities said, we've got to take you to get you some medical help. So they took him to a facility. He lived in that facility for a little while. Saturday, he died at the airport. He left the facility and went back to the airport to live. And they tried to rescue him yesterday, and he died. And he never made it home. How sad is that? There are people across our world who are lost, wondering, and they never found their way home. They need us. Do you know that Greyhound bus lines, do you know they have a special program called the Home Free Program? Do y'all know this? Do you know if, if, if kids run away from home and if their parents register them as runaways, then those kids are officially lost in America. And you know that Greyhound has a special free home program. They will take you home for free. Started in the late 90s. Do you know they have taken so far over 16,000 kids back home for free? Now y'all, if a bus line can figure out how to get lost people home, surely to goodness the church can. It's our responsibility to make sure that lost people know that they're lost without Jesus and that God came to save them and rescue them and reclaim them. Are y'all still with me? Okay, one other thing. The answer for all lost people, I don't care who you are, I don't care what your ethnicity is, I don't care what language you speak, I don't care where you were born, I don't care your station in life, if you're a human being on planet Earth, then the answer for all lost people is the saving grace of our loving Father revealed through His Son, Jesus. That's the real answer. You see, what is it that drives us missionally? This is Missions Month. You, you see this display out in, our, in the Charlie Hamill Welcome Center? All that we're doing? What, what are we doing? What do you think it is that we're doing? What do you think our message is? What, what drives us? Do you know what drives us? We believe people are lost. And we believe the answer is the grace of God revealed through his son Jesus. That's what we believe. So if, if we care for you 
at Mission Arlington, which is our church's mission in this town. And if you need food or clothes or other things, a doctor, then at Mission Arlington, we're going to provide that for you, but we're going to do it in the name of Jesus. If, if you're a woman in this town and you're trying to find your way out of poverty, we have a ministry called the Christian Women's Job Corps, and we do that training in the name of Jesus. These, these global centers, we have two of them in Europe, one in West Africa, and one more that we're about to launch. What, what, what are we doing? What we're doing is we're not taking American way of life to these places. We're not going around the world and teaching people how to be Americans. We're not going there to just improve their station in life. We're not going there to help them adopt a Western mindset. We're not going there to demonstrate to them Western culture. You know what we do? Wherever it is that we go, we go with this message. God Almighty loves you, and he is the only God who is. He loves you so much that he has given you an opportunity to know him personally. As a matter of fact, he has sent his son Jesus just for you. That's our message, and it's the grace of God that draws us and the love of God that compels us to respond to him. After all, Jesus said it himself. Jesus said in John 14, verse six, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father unless you come through me. The apostles in Acts four, verse 12 says, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved other than the name of Jesus. Paul said it's the grace of God. It's not our works, it's not what we can do that give us right standing before the Lord. It's God's grace that's available in Jesus. And so this morning, if you're lost, man, I've got great news for you. Do you know God went to so much trouble? He sent his own son to rescue you. That's how much he loves you. If you know people that are lost, oh, you've got good news for them. And so you and I, Let's become a part of God's family that is communicating to those who've, who are lost right now. You can come home. And when you come home, we're not going to be like the older brother. We're not going to be outside critiquing. We're going to be inside partying with you. Because we believe this gospel is good enough for you, just like it was good enough for us. Praise God. Let's pray together. <clears throat> well, Lord, we, we love you. And we thank you for your love for us. Lord, we were humbled today by this incredible story. In many ways, it's our story. All of us who have been found, we know that at one point we were lost. We had wandered to a far country. And we're grateful that you found us and reclaimed us. And that we have found life and hope in Jesus. And now, Lord, we come before you on behalf of those who are lost. People in our neighborhoods that are lost. They're in our family, and they're lost. There are people that are living in, across the world today. We come to you on their behalf as well. They're living in hard-to-reach places. Some of them living under repressive and oppressive regimes. Some of them have barriers constructed by powerful religious entities. And there are many that are lost. And so wherever they are, in our family, our neighborhood, our community, our school, or in the far reaches of the world, we come before you on their behalf today.
And we pray, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself, that you'd create within them a hunger, a desire to know you, and that you would also create a desire and a hunger within us to go and make sure they do know about you. We ask, Lord, that you would use us in this grand endeavor for taking this beautiful message about Jesus to a world that needs it. We thank you that somebody told somebody, and then they told somebody, and then they told somebody, and then somebody told us. And because of that, we've been found. And so today, Lord, we pray that you'll use us in this great rescue effort. May it be so. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.